This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. If you can uh, direct your attention up on our screen, we have a very heartwarming Christmas video to show you. Nativity. Someone's birth, the place, time, and circumstances of a birth. The birth of Jesus. The festival celebrating the birth of Jesus, Christmas Day. N-A-T-I-V-I-T-Y Nativity It's heartwarming, wasn't it? (laughs) How'd you like that? I mean, does it just make you just feel like it's Christmas? Yeah. And of course, the reason we showed you that is to to really provide today a contrast uh, between those who will experience this year, Christmas, uh, in a very mundane, um, just kind of, it's entering into a cultural celebration, uh, understanding by definition uh, the meaning but not having translated that uh, into the heart. And really the, the difference between the two kinds of experiences centers around uh, worship. Worship. Uh, worship flows from our heart. Uh, worship flows from an understanding of nativity, of the story of Jesus' birth, that has moved from here, just information about him, a historical person, uh, an event somewhere back in time, to a real, life-transforming interaction with a God who loves us, with a God who came for relationship with you and me. And you see the difference. And our response should be different. We, of all people, should respond differently to Christmas, to Nativity. But how do we do that? Well, that's what we've been talking about uh, this last month or so in our Advent series called Read Living Nativity. Uh, As we read through the various passages dealing with the birth of Jesus, um, the Lord invites all of us because it's a story for all of us. God intends it for all of us. It's good news for all people. And God invites us into the narrative of Scripture. He invites us to join with the angels and the shepherds, with the magi. He invites us to come and behold Him, the King of glory. And as we do that, as we enter into that narrative, we see ourselves there. And we see ourselves face to face with our Lord the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And that changes everything, doesn't it? It changes our heart. It gives us a capacity uh, to worship, 
to reach out, to relate to God in a personal way because he's a personal savior, because he truly has come to transform our lives. Our passage today in uh, Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 through 12 is a passage whose theme is worship. And what you're going to see here is a contrast between true worship of the true king, of the true God, versus false worship of a false king, of a false God. Uh, And you're going to see a conflict. You're going to see kingdoms in conflict in this passage. You're going to see uh, the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of man. And you're going to be introduced and you're going to enter into the narrative and be present uh, with those whose response is going to determine the trajectory of their lives. So let's look at these verses a little more closely. And there's some exciting things I want to point out to you. I think that will help both you and me come to a new depth of worship this Advent. So Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 through 2. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, now this is an important question, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. Now in chapter 1, Matthew has already set the table. Uh, We already read that Joseph has been informed that That Jesus is going to be the promised one of Israel, but he's going to be the Savior. And then just a few verses before that, in verse 22 of chapter 1, Matthew writes, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's Isaiah 7.14. And literally, that's speaking of the incarnation. This Jesus is God incarnate. He is God with us. He is our Emmanuel. Now, who are the Magi? Well, they are wise men, but unlike um, our Christmas hymn, we sing, We Three Kings of Orient Land. They, They really aren't kings. However, they are trusted advisors in the king's court. Uh, the wise men or the magi, which is uh, the, the term from which we get our word um, magic, okay, were well-educated, well-schooled uh, in the sciences, in the arts, in history, and culture, and religion. In fact, they actually served uh, as priests in their country. And so, As we think of the Magi, we're we're not thinking of kings, we're thinking of those who are advisors to kings. Uh, And of course, they're coming because they've seen a star, and they're responding to that. The star uh, they were following. Well, where do they come from? Well, most likely they came from the area we know today as Persia. Okay? And we know going all the way back to Israel when it was in exile... 
Uh, the Babylonian exile under Nebuchadnezzar. Remember Daniel? And Daniel was selected and he served as an advisor in Nebuchadnezzar's court. And in fact, he was later made head over Nebuchadnezzar's court. Well, you know who he was to head over? All those who would have been considered magi. Because his wisdom exceeded theirs. The king realized that. And so, way back, 500 years earlier, Daniel is in the court of the Babylonian king and he is influencing and teaching and helping the wise men or the magi in the king's court to understand the Jewish scriptures. And so not only are they schooled in their own understanding and beliefs, their, their pagan religion, but they're also getting exposure to the Jewish religion, to the Jewish scriptures, to the prophecies concerning Jesus and the birth of Jesus. And so it's amazing how God sets the table hundreds of years earlier for the events that we're reading here. And of course, you know the Babylonian Empire fell to the Persian Empire, right? And uh, it was under Cyrus that the Jews were able to return from exile and to rebuild the temple. And so you can see here that historically, these wise men would have had exposure and schooling in Jewish scripture. And so they would have been alert. They would have been waiting. And this was a time, the time of Jesus' birth, when not only the Jewish people, but those that were familiar with the Jewish scriptures and the prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah, of the King of Israel, the true King of Israel, they were waiting and they were watching. Now, one of the things that these Magi's would have done, they were schooled in astrology and astronomy, okay? So they were looking for signs. They, they were looking to see fulfillment of things they had been taught and learned about. And in this case, Hebrew scripture. Now they probably would have been most familiar, or if there was a verse that really would have caused them to be looking and to respond in the way they did, it would have come from Numbers 24, 17. Let's put that up on the screen. This is cool stuff, isn't it? Numbers 24, 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. That is, what? Jerusalem, Judea. A scepter, a king, a ruler, will rise out of Israel, and he will crush the foreheads of Moab and the skulls of all the people. And what that's really referring to here is the rule and reign of an ultimate king that's going to be established right on the throne of David and his rule and his reign ultimately will be forever it'll be eternal it'll be everlasting and so you can look at this numbers passage and if you are a magi and you're schooled in uh, Jewish scripture and, and, and the prophets and prophecy and you understand it and interpret it that way you could see this passage very easily and couldn't you see, wait a minute, here is a, here's a star and it's coming out of Jacob, right? Israel. And it's announcing the 
that a ruler is rising up. And so this may have been one of the key verses in their understanding that, that led them to inquire and to follow. And so they go and now they're coming from Persia. It's a distance of about a thousand miles. That's going to take three to six months. It's quite a journey. And when they come, they're going to find the child with his mother in a house. So it's not in a manger. Again, it's not like the story that we read and we see the little nativity sets and the shepherds are there and the magi there all at one time. This would have happened up to two years later after the birth of Jesus, okay? And so it's taking them six months to get there. And they arrive and it says... They're asking this question, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to do what? To worship him. To worship him. And the picture we get is that they were going all through Jerusalem asking the question, where is the one? Where is he? The one that is born king of the Jews. And so they've come and they've been seeking. They're seeking him. And what we see very clearly here is that God reveals himself to those who seek him. Do you know that? He does. He longs. He wants to reveal himself to those who seek him. Whether it's the, the Magi at this first Christmas or it's you and me, or someone who has heard and is coming for the very first time to behold Him. God reveals Himself to those who seek Him. And God is revealing Himself to the Magi in this passage. He's going to reveal Himself to them. It begins with the promise of Scripture. And God's revelation to us comes through what? the promise of Scripture. And we respond to that Scripture. And as we do that, God, through His Holy Spirit, speaks to our heart. And as He speaks to us, and as He works in our lives, He transforms us. But God reveals Himself to those who seek Him. And the Magi are seeking Him. And they're going all about Jerusalem saying, where is the one? Now you would think you would think that someone would be able to tell him or tell them, wouldn't you? And yet, they're asking and they're seeking and they're searching. Well, we get into the second part of the passage and it deals with, with King Herod. <clears throat> this is when Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And then we see the reference to Micah 5 too. If you put that up, you can see that. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Right? Now, why is Herod 
and the people. In this, in this instance, referring to the scribes and uh, the teachers of the law in Israel, those surrounding Herod in this event, why are they so greatly disturbed? Well, let's first look at Herod. Uh, Herod was a king. Uh, he served for 33 years. Uh, he was appointed by Caesar. And when Caesar appointed him, Caesar gave him the title, the king of the Jews. Okay? So here are these wise men from the king's court coming from faraway land in the east. They're going all about Jerusalem and they're looking for the one who is the king of the Jews. And Herod knows that now there's a rival. There's somebody else. There's a threat to his kingship. And not only that, if you understand the history of the day, you had the Western world was dominated by Rome, the Roman Empire. And the Eastern world during this time was uh, dominated by Parthia. And that, they, they dominated, they were the major force in the, in the Eastern world. And where were the Magi coming from? From the Eastern world. And in between the Roman world and the Eastern world was, what? Judea. Okay, this, this area the Herod ruled over. And there was a constant fear of a threat that an army or those who would want to conquer Herod's empire, which had been given to him by the Romans and, and part of the Roman Empire, that, that that army or those who would want to conquer or overthrow him would come from the east. And so now you have these representatives, these magi, coming from the east. They're coming from the court of the king. And they are king makers. In fact, uh, the Magi would give advice as to who the next king would be in their custom and traditions in the east. So they not only ruled in the king's court, but they helped select who the king would be. And so here they are. Now they're showing up in Jerusalem. And Herod's enraged. He's greatly disturbed. He's greatly agitated because he sees a threat to his throne. And he's wondering, uh, is, is this the beginning of an overthrow of my kingdom? So he goes to the religious leaders and he asks them, where is this child to be born? Where is this king of the Jews to be born? And what do they do? Well, they're schooled in the law. They know the scriptures. They know Micah 5 too. And in fact, during this time, people in Israel were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. They were expecting, they were hoping for the coming of the Messiah. And so this scripture says exactly where the Messiah is going to be born. And so they tell him. Now, it, it's interesting after they tell him, he calls the Magi to him and he says, I want you to go and I want you to go find out where they are. Come back and tell me so I can go worship them. Right? Here, the theme is worship again. Now, the Magi are seeking and God is revealing because God reveals to those who seek him. But Herod is seeking for a different reason. 
He's not seeking to truly worship Jesus. He's seeking Jesus because he wants to destroy him because Jesus is a threat to his kingdom. Okay? To his reign. To his rule. To his authority. And uh, you know from history that, that Herod was a brutal, brutal person. Uh, he was very personable. He was very political. He managed and was uh, uh, able to get what he wanted through Rome. But he ruled with an iron fist. Uh, many say he was a man who was paranoid. He had his wife executed. He had his sons executed. In fact, uh, he was so paranoid and afraid of threats to his throne that Caesar himself said it would be better to be one of his pigs than one of his children. Okay? I mean, that's Herod. And so Herod wants to destroy any threat to his throne. And he sends the Magi out to find Jesus and to come back and tell him. He says, so I can worship him. Well, the Magi are those who are seeking true worship. They're seeking the true God. They're seeking the fulfillment of Scripture. Herod is seeking false worship. You see, he set up an empire and a kingdom in which he's a false god. And he bears the name that given by Caesar, king of the Jews. And he's threatened by the true king, the true Messiah, the one sent from God to you and to me. Emmanuel, God with us. And isn't it curious? Don't you think about this? If the religious leaders, the scribes, the teachers of the law, if they were familiar with the scripture, and the Magi came, and, and Herod said, where is the one that they're looking for? And they were actually able to say, well, this is the one that's talked about in Micah 5.2. Wouldn't you think that the religious leaders of Jerusalem would want to go and find him? Wouldn't you think that their hearts would be filled with joy? Wouldn't you think they'd say, the long-awaited promised one of God, the one whom the prophets foretold, the, 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 the one who is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the anointed one is here. Wouldn't you think that as religious leaders, they'd be the first ones to go, don't you? But what do they do? Nothing. It's business as usual. It's business as usual. And you know, as I was reading that, and I was contemplating that, I was asking myself the question, how in the world could those who are the most schooled in the Scripture, those who should have known, those who did know, and were able to tell the king, so he could tell the Magi, why is it that they didn't go? Why didn't they worship? As I thought about that, I had to look, look in the mirror. Because they were so familiar. They knew the scriptures. They understood it. They were busy living their religious lives. 
But you need to know this, that religiosity, the knowledge and practice of religion, can make our hearts cold to the truth that the scriptures talk about. That we can become so familiar that our faith and our practice of faith can be so mundane, so ritualistic, so ordinary, that it's like that definition of nativity. It's just plain and mundane. And, and they were so busy practicing their religion that they missed the one that the scripture was talking about. I mean, they were so familiar. Oh yeah, yeah, Micah 5 too. Yeah, we know that. Yeah, that's where he's supposed to be born. Now let's go back to the, to the business of practicing religion. Do you see that? How that can be a danger? How you and I can come in here on Sunday morning, or we can come here on Christmas Eve or even Christmas Day and, and say, oh yeah, yeah, Jesus is born today. I, I know that, Matthew, Luke, we've read the narratives. Yeah, yeah, he's born today. But you miss the personal encounter because the heart isn't one of worship. Oh, we know it up here. But are we living it from here? Are we reliving nativity? Are we entering into the narrative? Are we allowing ourselves truly to experience and to seek Him? The Magi did. And God reveals Himself to those who seek Him. And as God reveals Himself to us, how can we not respond but with a heart of worship, with a heart of gratitude? Well, the Magi leave. And as they leave, the star or the light continues to lead them and it rests over the place where Jesus and Mary are. And let's read about that. Seven, then, Merit, uh, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it had rose ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother and they bowed down and they worshipped him. You know, our only response really to the birth of our Savior is worship. And that's what they did. And we can see in their lives, they're giving their time. It took them six months to get there. They're giving their treasure, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But they're also giving their talent because they've been schooled in these things. And they're allowing the things that they've learned to inform how they live. All those things are present here. And finally they're there in the presence of the one who is the king of the Jews. And they bow and they worship him. They worship him. You see there's room in their heart for him. Unlike Herod. Herod is going to 
destroy anything that threatens his, his kingship. He wants to do away with Jesus. And it's not unlike the culture we live in. That those who are threatened by his kingship, by his authority, right, by his rule and his reign, they want to make Christmas something that has everything to do with a celebration, but nothing to do about the one whom we celebrate. Because deep down inside, there's a struggle to remain the king or the queen or the rulers of our own life. And Jesus gets in the way. Because if He really is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, if He really is Messiah, if He really is God with us, right, Emmanuel, then we have to make room. And we have to bow to Him. We need to worship Him with our lives. And celebrate who He is and allow Him to transform us. The truth is that Jesus is a threat to our own rule. Isn't He? And so there's a little bit of Herod in all of us. And the question is, are we going to make way for the true King? Or are we going to hold on to the throne for ourselves? <laughs> well, the Magi give the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, gold, of course, we understand is a gift for royalty. And Jesus is the king. Right? He's the king of the Jews. And frankincense was an incense that was used in the Jewish temple during ritual sacrifice because it sweetened the smell. And so frankincense was used for the worship of God. And so we can understand that as Identifying that Jesus was not only king, but Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. And frankincense would have been used in the sacrifice. And then finally, the myrrh. That was used for embalming. You, you might remember when Jesus was on the cross, he was given a drink, and part of that drink was mixed with what? Myrrh. And it's most likely that his body was prepared for burial with that as well. And so we see lots of symbolism in the gifts that the Magi bring. But here's another thing. The Magi, once they've come and they've worshipped and they've given the gifts to Jesus, they're informed in a dream not to go back to Herod, but to leave and to return to their land by another way. And of course, Herod is going to find out and he's going to be incensed and uh, he's going to order that every Jewish Hebrew boy under the, year, under the age of two years in the vicinity of Bethlehem ordered, ordered that they be killed to make sure that this king doesn't rise. And the gifts that the Magi brought to Mary and Joseph Many scholars believe that those gifts were used for their escape to Egypt where they went and they escaped until the time that Herod died and then they returned. So that the very gifts that the Magi brought to Jesus were used by his parents 
to help rescue him from Herod's plan. And you think about that. You think about how we bring gifts, don't we? And how our gifts, how what we bring to the Lord can be used by him in his greater plan. God still uses that. And so we see here that God not only reveals himself to those who seek him, but he speaks to those who listen to him. And are we going to listen to him? Are we going to listen to him? Are we going to listen to his word? Are we going to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us through his word? Oh, he'll reveal himself as we seek him, but he wants to speak to us. And he speaks to those who listen, even as he did to the Magi. He still speaks to us today. And then finally, he leads those who follow him. So not only does he reveal himself to those who seek him, not only does he speak to those who will listen to him. Right? Isn't it ironic? The Magi, who were the non-Jews, were listening. And the Jewish scribes and the leaders, the teachers of the law, they weren't listening at all. They knew, but they didn't listen. Right? But the Magi did. And that seeking and that listening, that's all a part of our worship experience, isn't it? It's all part of our worship experience. But the end result is that God leads those who will follow Him. God leads those who will follow. And as the Magi leave, they go a different route. Uh, in John MacArthur's commentary on this passage, he says this. He says, The fact that they listened to the Lord in a dream and went by a different route back and returned back to their land, not going towards Herod, but going away from Herod, that that really is representative of something that Christmas is intended to be about. And it's this. That they left by a different route. And the question is, that he would pose, is that are we going to leave this story differently than when we came? Are our lives going to reflect living in a different direction, in a different way, with a different posture, in a renewed relationship with our Savior as a result of our experience? Are we going to leave here changed people? Are we going to go home? Are we going to go into our workplace? Are we going to go to school? Are we going to go to the family celebration of Christmas different because of our encounter with the one who's the king of the Jews? The Magi did. And the question is, will you and me? And so, this morning... The question is, are we going to worship the true king? Is our worship going to be true worship or false worship? Are we going to be transformed by our worship? Are we going to seek a God who wants to reveal himself to us? Are we going to listen to God who wants to speak to us? And are we going to follow God? Who wants to lead us? Will our lives be different? 
because we're reliving nativity. So worship team comes forward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus is the light of the world. And Father, we are grateful that you reveal yourselves to those who seek you. And Lord, as we seek you, that you want to speak to those who listen. And Lord, as we listen to you, you want to lead us in a new way of life. In a renewed relationship with you. If we're willing to follow. And so this morning, Father, as we prepare our hearts for the celebration of our Savior's birth. Lord, may we seek. May we listen. And may we follow. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord.